Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Two Fit Podcast, hosted by the Two Fit Guys, Jake and Josh. Now, Two Fit, by definition, is actively pursuing a state of health and well being beyond perceived limitations. So, if you are looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between, then you have come to the right place. On the Two Fit Podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world-class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the eight to five, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. All right, everyone. It's another edition of the Two Fit Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, as always. And Jake and I are stoked to have Luke Tyberski on the podcast because he's done something. I mean, you know, we feel like it's a big deal to do an Ironman. This guy did the ultimate triathlon from Morocco to Monaco. Just to put that in perspective, the ultimate triathlon is basically the equivalent of swimming 400 laps in a 50 meter pool, cycling the length of Britain. <laughs> And then running 14 marathons in 12 days. So basically, we're going to get down to what's wrong with Luke Tyberski today. <laughs> the man just crazy enough to do it. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. First of all, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. I know our listeners are going to get a kick out of this and a lot of great info. No worries, guys. Great to be on the show. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, so what we're going to do is actually play you guys the kind of the teaser video that's on Luke's website now, this is the trailer for the documentary that's that's coming out later this month. Is that correct, Luke? Yeah, that's right. The world premiere is uh, on the 18th of September, and this is the official trailer to the Ultimate Triathlon, Morocco to Monaco, 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. Over three years in the making, this is the Ultimate Triathlon, a multi-sport course of epic proportions. I was just crashed. Bad news, I have a fracture in my femur. Basically have the most difficult part of the journey flipped on its head. Very strong current here. The brutality begins. Was this even physically possible? I feel like I've been hit over the head with a baseball bat. behind the, the imagination. <laughs> Mentally wanting to keep going and being frustrated that his legs won't work. His quad's gonna tear. He's fully ruptured from his surgery. That was up there with the hardest part of this whole thing physically. One more day. Hanging there one more day. Awesome. I think uh, we might need some new intro music after listening to that, Josh. <laughs> Gives you the goosebumps just, just <laughs> listening to it. I mean, it's pretty pretty awesome. So, Luke, I mean, how I've seen all, all the adventures here on your website. You did eight days of climbing active volcanoes in Guatemala. You've done the Mount Everest Ultra Marathon, running for survival in Hong Kong. I mean, first of all, what got you into all these adventure type of races and then what eventually kind of led you to do the, the ultimate triathlon? Well, it's a it's a pretty 
pretty long-winded uh, answer, but I'll try and give you a, sh a short version. Uh, basically, five years ago, I was a broken-down, injured uh, soccer player suffering from depression. So my background is playing soccer. I grew up in Australia, and you can probably tell by the little twang of the accent. And I played professionally in Australia. I played uh, in college uh, in, in America as well over there. I played professionally in America. I played in Belgium. I played in the UK. So I bounced around the world playing in the lower leagues professionally, you know, making a few bucks here and there. And that was always been my dream to play professionally. And then at 25, uh, I started to suffer from all these random injuries, nothing like major, like normal stuff, your ankle, your calf, tall muscles and this, but it went on for three years. I ended up having three surgeries in the space of 11 months, so this was really tough to get over because playing soccer was my livelihood, and I was battling really badly with depression, and I didn't speak about it to anyone, didn't, didn't tell anyone, and then one day... I was out training and I tore my calf muscle. And like a light switch, I decided I'm going to retire from football and from soccer because I've just had enough. My body's had enough. I went home. I iced my leg. While I'm icing my calf, I'm playing around on the laptop looking at Google or whatever it was. And I remember a friend in Australia telling me about this race where people run across the desert for an entire week. I thought people that ran five miles were crazy, let alone across the desert in a week. So I tried to find the name of it, found it, it's called the Marathon de Sabs. it was in six months and I went, cool, I'm going to do that because I'm not playing soccer anymore. In hindsight, massive escape from life, I didn't want to deal up with the real life and what I was going to do next as a 28-year-old. So then I signed up to the Marathon de Sabs, and I learned so much about myself and about endurance sports because I threw myself into the deep end. And those who don't know what their Marathon de Sabs is, it's the equivalent of six marathons in seven days through the Sahara Desert carrying everything on your back. So then what got me into doing all these other big adventures was I'm 28. I've got my whole life in front of me and I've gone, I'm in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Every day I get up with a purpose. That's to run a marathon basically every day. I'm around like-minded people and I'm seeing an amazing part of the world living life. I'm going to be an adventurer. I had no idea what that meant. But I thought, I'm going to do all these crazy big adventures and I'm going to write articles about them. I'm going to make TV programs about them. I'm going to do talks about them, all this stuff, living way up in the clouds. And over the next four year or four and a half years, that's why I did all the big crazy challenges because I wanted to live my life every single day because back then, those three years of injuries, I wasn't living when I was suffering from depression. So now it's all about living life. And I've evolved a lot since then because now I do a lot of motivational speaking and also I write articles in different magazines. So my vision is starting to become a reality and I just really try and inspire others to live their lives every single day and get out of their comfort zones because we can achieve so much more than we think we can. And this is the message I try and get across with everything that I do and basically, guys, that's how I went from a broken down injured soccer player to doing these crazy big challenges and why I'm an endurance adventurer today. At the end of the day, Luke, what what is it that motivates you though? What makes you continue to do these things? The the messages, the emails, the people on the street who I meet and I tell what I do 
And then they come back to me and go, because I spoke to you, I went and did a run. Because I spoke to you, I signed up to that art class I've always wanted to do, but I've always been scared to. You've inspired me to act on that inspiration to start living my life. Why I do it is to inspire others to live their life. Personally, is I'm still on a journey of self-discovery. I'm still learning about myself. I'm trying to find out what I'm capable of. And through these big challenges that I do, I realize I am capable of so much more than I believe I am, which passes down to the other people who see what I do and who I talk to. So I just try, I'm just trying to live my life and just see what I'm capable of because I know what, you know, can, I can't even leave my bedrooms looking like. So I used to have, dep- I still have depression, but I used to suffer so badly that I couldn't even leave my, my house because I was just too... Uh, too down, too flat, too afraid to leave the little comforts of my of my of my bedroom. So I know what not living's like. So that's what it's all about: is living life and inspire others to live theirs. Luke, when did the depression start? Was that tied? Was that related to your injuries? And then was it that moment of seeing the run the Desab and choosing to enter that race that kind of gave you a purpose to get out of that or move towards uh, or move, move away from depression? Yeah. So. In hindsight, looking back, um, I probably started to have suffering from um, bouts of depression as a teenager. Um, normally when I was injured, when I couldn't play soccer and things like that. But really, the depression really started to set in quite badly. Like I, like I said, at times I couldn't even leave my house. Uh, physically, it was like, okay, ready, three, two, one, go, get out of bed. No, it just wouldn't happen. Um, was yeah, well, it was about 25 when all these injuries started, and it was pretty bad. And towards the end of those three years, just before I uh, retired from from soccer, I went to see for the first time a therapist and did some work with them because I was finally at a time where I could talk about this. My my girlfriend at the time didn't know my my parents, no, none of my friends knew. I kept it and I suffered in silence, and it. Doing these big challenges made me realize this is me living life and I want to live life and it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to have and it's so precious and I'm so gracious for it. I have so much gratitude to be able to experience life as it is today. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, you know, it gets, it gets me quite emotional because I, 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 just, I just love everything that I do and I know that it's, I've come from a, a dark place to where I am now. And where where has it taken me? Like I still have, like I do still suffer quite badly at times, but I've learned to deal with it a lot better. So I stop. I won't push on and try and do, uh, you know, talks or if I, if I've got emails to write, I'll just stop and put that aside if I feel like this is not going to be a good day. Um, and when I get too busy with life with training, with talks, with writing and all that stuff, that's when I can tip over the edge. And when I don't have enough on my plate and I've got too much time on my hands, that's when my brain ticks over and starts thinking about all these negative things in my life. So I'm trying to find that happy medium of not doing too much but doing enough to keep me going and try and keep it that balance to, to keep in a, in a positive frame of mind and keep the depression um, away. I think it's true that everybody kind of, you know, they suffer in their own way, whether that be you're more prone to depression or overeating or, you know, just stress and anxiety. For somebody who's a friend of someone who's dealing with depression, what are some things that that you can do as a friend in order to help those? That's a really good question. Really good question. 
Um, I know actually I've wor- I work with the Mental Health Foundation here in well, in London where I live and it's one of the, the main mental health foundations and I actually wrote a blog about this um, and basically just be there. You don't – if the person who is suffering from mental health uh, illness, if they want to talk about it, they will talk about it but they'll talk about it when they're ready. So just literally be there and there's nothing wrong with this person and they're not different to anyone else. So just literally, you know, if you normally go and grab a coffee, go and grab a coffee. If you don't, just let's be there for them, both physically and also let them know. If you ever want to call, just give me a call and, and make sure that they know that it's, you know, you really mean that. And quite literally, I, the way that I started to tell people was I started to hang out with a good friend of mine that we used to hang out quite regularly, but I used to think if I spend more time with him, then then maybe I will be able to um, start talking about this. And I just made a conscious effort to try and ha- spend a bit more time with him, have a coffee here, go for a run here. And he was he was able to do that. And then eventually I sort of brought it out and says, look, I feel really comfortable now. I want to tell you something. And that's how I sort of started telling people. But it's really just being there for them and just letting them know that you are uh, there for them either physically or uh, to hang out with them or so just on the end of the phone really. That's good. I, I know most of us are pretty good at hiding our emotions, and us us men are specifically uh, probably pretty good liars. What are some telltale yep. signs? What what can you look for to tell if somebody might be suffering from depression? That's tough because everyone everyone um, everyone suffers differently, and everyone is a, like they show they show their emotions differently. You know, so. I'm out doing these uh, these challenges, and, and I'm a professional. You know, I'm a professional soccer player, and I'm bouncing around, and I'm a, I'm a quite a an outgoing guy, and I'm quite bubbly, and I love to chat about things and all whatever. No one had any idea, and so it really depends on the uh, on the personality of the person. But I guess one thing you could look for is a is a change, a constant change in mood. Um, people withdrawing from social situations. So if you meet a group of friends every Friday night, and then all of a sudden. Bob stops going to your Friday night things and when you do meet up with him, he's really down and he's really flat, then maybe that could be a sign. But you could just say, look, you know, the good way to approach that situation would be, look, you haven't come on Friday nights, um, you seem like there's something up, is everything okay? And if he says no, you've got to respect that. But if he opens up about something, then, you know, you, you will definitely be helping him. So that potentially could be a scenario. But as I said, everyone is different because everyone's personalities are so different. So, Luke, how have the races directly kind of affected um, positively your your depression? Um, does it take your mind off of it? Has it helped you? I know you say you still struggle with it from time to time, but how much maybe even on a scale has having that sense of importance and accomplishing these goals uh, meant to your level of depression? Well, very on, on a high level of a scale, they're amazing because it makes me feel like I'm living my life. I'm making the most of the time that I'm here. And it also, I love exercising. I love doing endurance sports now. I've always loved keeping fit and just being outside, being active. So I get the endorphins. I get all the chemicals that are responding from doing something that I love doing. So that really helps. But the flip side of this 
is because I do such big things like my ultimate triathlon from Morocco to Monaco and you know, living with Nepalese ultra runners high up in the Paul Mountains where no one's ever been before for six weeks before running down Mount Everest and all this crazy stuff, I come home and they're over, so my mood drops because I don't have this big thing to look forward to. So it, they, they are really helpful, but I also am more aware now that that whole dip, you know, we all have it post-race, post-holiday, post-big um, assignment at work or something like that or school, that we have that little drop. We say, wow, like that was exhausting and now what do I do? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I have that as well but now I set up things in place that hopefully uh, I don't do that. So basically on the back end of it, I, I try and reflect. If I start feeling down about or start feeling flat, I try and think about the challenge, think about the race, think about the the time I spent wherever it was and reflect on the positives I got out of that, the things I learned. So really, while I've finished the challenge, dive back into it and there's so much you can learn when you actually look back and reflect on that time. I think that's really key because you, you mean touch on something that I think a lot of people go through and you, you mentioned the work, you know, work project or an event in your life. It's easy to fill kind of that lull you know, for a couple weeks after and then you look back mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, I, I don't feel like I've done anything for three weeks. Um, what are some tips? I know you said really reflection on those moments, but what are some tips going forward? You know, if you if you know you have an event, whether it be a work project, a physical event, and it's a month down the road and you've been building towards it, what are some things you can put in place that are past that month so that when you come back, we all need time for rest, right? We all need time for rest and reflection, but something to kind of get you back up and, and keep pushing towards the next thing. Yeah, well, you've got to have this massive void in in your life and i think that's the main thing is we lose a bit of sense of identity when this massive void is is gone it's finished you know the project's over so i think putting in place uh, prior to it happening is a bit of time for yourself so that could be through reflection that could be through a, a holiday that could be through oh i'm going to read a book so that means i have to give myself an hour a day to finish this book you know it's all these little things it can be anything you enjoy um, it could be looking for a new project. You know, I, I train other athletes as, as well and sometimes we will go, this is your big race. Okay, but after it, you know, they might be a 100-mile runner and we're doing this 100-mile race and I go, well, a month down the line, here's a half marathon. Let's, let's do that as a recovery run, you know? And they go, oh, yeah, it's, it's nothing big but it's still a race. They get to their race day and a half marathon and there's all these other people around. You know, so it can be setting up things like that. So I think reflection, but also putting little um, projects or, or little um, goals, just small ones, but things for yourself, because you've got to make time for yourself after these big projects, because there's that massive void that's not there anymore. And to sort of pat yourself on the back, both uh, metaphorically, and I do it all the time when I finish a big run or a big ride or something like that, and I'll get out of the pool and pat myself on the shoulder and go, "Well done, that was awesome," and it makes a big difference for me anyway. Yeah, now these these big journeys you're doing, like you said, are great for for basically self discovery and that reflection phase is when you can kind of figure out some of that stuff. And I'd just be curious to know from from your own personal perspective, what are some things you discovered about yourself during these ultra long events? positive but also equally you know negative things maybe that came up all right i'll go i'll go with the big negative from the ultimate triathlon which we'll get into in a second but this this will set it up it's it's a negative and a positive but but at the the same time i look at it as a 
as a, a, there's there's a definite definite negative element to it is we've all heard in endurance sports or in many sports that if our mind is strong our body will follow and if you train your mind when it, and then it's strong then you you'd be able to push a little bit further but when you're really tired you want to give up some people will give up in a race some people will slow down or whatever and then they stop and they go, oh, I, I, I should have pushed harder. I just, oh, my mind went. My, I, I proved myself and I think I proved also to anyone else who's going to watch the documentary of my ultimate triathlon that my mind is so much more stronger than my body because I passed out three of the 12 days of the, of the ultimate triathlon. Now, you might think, why, why is that a negative? It's very dangerous because my mind is so strong, it'll drive my body until it quite literally collapses and passes out from exhaustion. And I look at that as a very powerful tool, but also it's very dangerous. And so maybe not so much a negative, it's very dangerous. But um, another negative, and then we'll get into the positives, um, would have to be the strain on the body. You know, and um, it takes a long time to recover from doing 2,000 kilometers in 12 days from Morocco to Monaco. It takes a long time to recover from running six marathons in seven days for the Sahara Desert. All these things, you know, one of, I did a big cycle. It took me 255 miles nonstop over, um, I think it was about 15,000 15, feet worth of climbing. Uh, and it takes time to recover. And you get that lull after that void's gone. So I can't throw myself into another physical challenge because I'm so tired and exhausted and I need that time to recover. Um, so there's some negative things, but the positive things, yeah, self-discovery self is amazing. When I go back and reflect on these big challenges, I don't actually just learn physical things like um, – I learned how to do this when I was running through a forest in China and I had no food, no water, um, no money. That's a whole other story. Um, I learned how to survive on the things that I had around me. So I was foraging as I was running back to the airport 100 kilometers and I had 48 hours before my flight left. I was foraging to tie any food and I found some coconuts and I, you know, and, and this, these things. So I learned to try and think on my feet when I was in these sort of situations. Um, but I really think, just to, just to finish the, this question off, is I really think what I learned so much about this is what I'm capable of as a person, not as an athlete, but as a person. Because when I'm running down from Mount Everest and my legs are burning and they're tired and exhausted, I have two options. I stop, I, three options. I stop, um, I keep going, or I slow down. And if you come to a difficult situation in life, I feel you can go back to that. Stop, slow down, um, or keep going. And you can translate that to whatever you're doing. So I really focus in on these things when I've come to a difficult decision, not only during these challenges, but also in life. So I've learned so much about myself from doing all these big, crazy, nutter challenges that I do. So Luke, what made you pick the ultimate triathlon? Had anyone done this route before? And then why did you pick Morocco to Monaco? No one's ever done this before and no one has ever done a triathlon in this type of format. So it's been, a few people have said to me, oh, that's like a Decker Ironman. On paper, we do 10 Ironmans in, in 10 days uh, on, a, on a you know looped course. 
on paper, very similar mileage, but as an actual event, completely different. Because I swam 16 miles nonstop in open water. People who do decamarinemans either swim in a lake or a swimming pool for 3.8 kilometers, and then they do a 112-mile bike. Well, I did back-to-back days of 220 miles, you know. So it's very different, and no one has ever done anything like this in this type of format. And how I came up with it? Well, when I got back from the desert, or actually, to be honest, I tell this story different all the time because I can't remember if it was before I went to the desert or after I got back. But quite literally, I said, I'm going to be an adventurer, and I need to do something big to put me on the map. And what that meant was I needed people to take me serious. So what I did was I got a a world map, stared at it, looked at it, and the only thing I thought about was I'm looking for an adventure. So I had adventure on my mind. And then after a couple of minutes, I saw this little gap of water that I had never noticed before between Africa and Spain. And I thought, and at this stage, guys, I hadn't swam since I was about seven like in Australia, like I didn't swim in a squad or anything. I'd, I'd done a few laps down the pool, but that was about it. I didn't own any sort of bike. I cycled as a kid, as a teenager, like a mountain bike to and from my kids, to, from my um, a friend's house, but I didn't race anything. I, I didn't do anything like that. And I'd only just signed up or only just started doing this ultramarathon stuff. So I don't have any background, any endurance sports or anything like that. I played soccer. We ran for 90 minutes, a bit here and there, and that was it. And then I saw this Gibraltar Strait thing, and then I saw, oh, what's what's that? Oh, that's the south of south of uh, southeast of Spain. And I thought maybe I could swim between Africa and, and Spain. That looks small enough on the map. And then I thought maybe I could cycle along this coast of Spain. And I thought, oh, maybe there's some sort of triathlon in this because you know, five years ago, triathlon just as it is today is big and everyone knows about it. And I thought, well, what's next? And I thought, oh, there's a French-Spanish border. And I thought, well, what if I run from there and keep going along the coast and hug this coast? Oh, is it what country's next? And I thought, oh, there's Monaco. And it just went, oh, Morocco to Monaco. To be honest, that sounded really cool, so I went with it. And over the next the next couple of weeks, I started to research if it's possible to swim the Gibraltar Strait between Spain and Morocco. And there's a company that does it. So I was like, sweet, I can do that. And I looked into how far the distance of the cycle is. It's about 850 miles or the equivalent of the length of Britain. So I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that in a few days. And then the run was basically the equivalent of 14 marathons. So I, I asked my friends, oh, how many days do you reckon that I could do it? A couple of them were Ironman back in Australia. And they're like, oh, 15 days max. Like that's you need, you need at least 15 days. And I said, oh, I've worked out a few little days here and there. I think I can do it in 12. And they all said, you're crazy. You can't do it in 12. And that was fuel to the fire. I said, thanks, guys. I'm doing it in 12. And then it was like, right, when do I do it? I'm going to do it in four and a half years' time. And the next four and a half years of my life is to build content for my brand that is the endurance adventurer and then basically turn myself from this broken down injured footballer who just signed up to this race in the desert into an ultra endurance triathlon beast and that's basically what i think i did wow say i think you're there congrats man so you put that four and a half years out on the map literally and said i'm doing that in four and a half years and this is what i'm building towards yep that's it so that was my big goal that was my big goal in life and i told about 10 people in the first two years about this project 
uh, I started doing all these crazy things and yeah, I just said, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm an endurance adventurer and this is, I'm living life. Um, and then about a year and a half out, I told another dozen people who were starting to try and help me to uh, get some sponsors because something like this, you know, costs money and uh, to be honest, I don't have any. So um, I needed some help. And then I announced it in the January last year at a big triathlon show in London. I did a, a talk there about um, triathlons, um, ultra triathlons, because I did one triathlon. It was a double Ironman distance in North Wales with like, um, was it like 15, no, 17,000 feet worth of climbing and like 10,000 feet worth of climbing on the run. It took me 35 hours nonstop. So I spoke about this triathlon um, at this triathlon show and also with one of my sponsors who I got on board, we announced the ultimate triathlon in, in the January and it happened in the September. So then I told the world and 90, I'm going to say 98% of the people that heard this, both professional triathletes, age group triathletes, everyday people, endurance athletes, all said, you're an idiot, you're not going to do this. And I went, cool. What? Look at the ultimatetriathlon.co website, follow my follow. Follow me along and watch me do it. Um, and, yeah, and that's that's how it all happened. And then so I had this big four-and-a-half-year plan. I kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And the 1st of November last year, I uh, hobbled into Monaco. So were you training for this throughout that whole four-and-a-half years? You were swimming, biking, running. I know you had the other events going on uh, within that, that time frame as well. But was, you, was your day, day in and day out basically just training for endurance? As I said, I had no money, man. No, I had, to, I had to do work and try and make some money. So I was training other athletes. I have a degree in exercise science. Um, so I was uh, doing some PT stuff. I was training other athletes. I was pitching all these ideas. So I went out to Nepal, as I said, for six weeks. So the, all the adventure magazines, all the running magazines, all the fitness magazines, I pitched me going out to do this to all them to write some articles. Uh, I don't have a journalist background. I just thought, well... I can talk and, I, and, you know, I'm good at that. So why not I just put on a bit of paper? And it seemed to have worked. People commissioned me, not a lot, but a little bit of money to help pay for these things. And I was training other athletes and I was trying to get in to do some motivational speaking and I'd got, you know, a gig here and there, like, you know, we're talking a couple of years at the first couple of years and then a few more. And, um, yeah, and, and, I, and I got a few people to sort of sponsor me for certain challenges and I would, you know, wear their kits or, or whatever um, but nothing long-term. It was just a one-off thing when I'd do certain challenges that would help them out. Um, and, yeah, just really scraping together peanuts to, to do these big challenges and doing them on the very, very cheap, but also um, just having a great time at, at the same time. Well, let's talk ultimate triathlon specifically here. What was the, the self-talk leading up to the event, and then how did that change during? Okay, so... I'm very big on mental strength, as you know, we sort of gathered a couple of minutes ago. So the self-talk for the four and a half years, as I said, this was a big plan, and, and I had to go into it 100%. The four and a half years to the start, when I signed up to all these open water swimming races, I'd never swam in the ocean before, and I, you know, I was freaking out and I crapped myself numerous times, I think both literally and figuratively when I'm swimming in the water and I've never been in the ocean before, doing these big ultra-long cycles, signing up to ultra-marathons. The self-talk was and the visualization was 
okay, I'm on the bike. I've been going now for 12 hours cycling. I'm really tired. I want to stop. And I'm like, dude, if you want to go from Morocco to Monaco, you're going to be doing multiple days longer than 12 hours. So, okay, we've got to make a decision now. The only reason you're on the bike at this very moment cycling up this hill is your training for the ultimate triathlon. So if you don't want to do the ultimate triathlon, we get off the bike and we walk home because there's no point doing this right now. So then I would say, no, I want to do the ultimate triathlon. I want to live my life every single day. I want to be an endurance adventurer. This is my goal. Then I say, well, okay, if this is your goal, this is what you want to do, suck it up and keep pedaling. So that's one side of the self-talk. I would always refer back to the ultimate triathlon whenever I was doing these challenges. Same with the swim. I'm doing a 5K swim race in the ocean. And after two Ks, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm just freaking out. I'm in the wetsuit. I'm feeling claustrophobic. The water's a bit fresh. The waves are sort of rocking me around. I'm like, the strategy bolt is going to be 10 to 15 miles. And here you are whinging about a 5K. If you don't want to do this, swim to the shore, get out. So that was that side of it. The other side of it is a massive on visualization. So for the four and a half years leading up, I would be um, doing an ultra marathon or doing a training run. And I, and I would visualize myself running along the south coast of France. And I'm like, okay, my legs are really sore. And I would go through all the positives I could think of. I feel good. Look at the sun shining. Oh, there's a nice girl that walked past. You know, there's the ocean. Great. But I would also dig really, really deep into the negatives from the swim, the cycle, and the run. I, t- I would go through all scenarios. Injuries. Um, get hit by a car bike breaking, um, I'm vomiting, I'm sick, I get a bug, you know, all this stuff. Swimming, people say, how did you, were you, were you scared about swimming across the, the Gibraltar Strait? Like the big one is in, in your swimming channels and stuff like that is, is sharks. Things. There's no, there's never been any sightings, there's never been anything with sharks there. But I'm in the ocean. So I did some visualization when I'm swimming in the ocean doing some training or, or a 3K race or a 5K race. And I visualize, what happens if I see a shark now? What happens if I visualize seeing a shark in the Gibraltar Strait? What do I do? Am I prepared to come face-to-face with a shark? Am I prepared to come face-to-face with something else that may just pop up from the bottom of the ocean I don't see? Am I prepared to something happens while I'm out in the ocean and the boats can't get to me in time that's next to me? So I go through all the negatives as well. So then when someone comes to me and it gets close to the, the challenge or it comes to the challenge to answer the second part of your question, Someone says, weren't you scared about swimming across the Gibraltar Strait? I said, look, I made peace with everything that could possibly, everything that I could possibly think of happen across the Gibraltar Strait years ago. And the last two years has just been about swimming because I know if a shark comes up and tries to give me a kiss on the lips when I'm, when I'm swimming, I'm okay with that. I'm prepared for that. I'll deal with that. Or if a car hits me when I'm on the bike on, on a freeway, I've already gone through that process and that's done. I still want to be here. I still want to do this. I've gone through all the negatives, all the positives. So that was all through the visualization. And that's, that's where the self-talk changed from before and the visualization changed from uh, before. And then in the present, for the 12 days, I just really tried to stay in the present moment because I kept telling myself in 12 days, in 10 days, in nine days, it's over and the ultimate triathlon is done. So you have to enjoy every single moment of this. Even when my quadricep, my quadricep tore and I'm trying to hobble 
with a torn quadricep, I have to be really present and focus on just taking one step in front of the other because I know in a certain amount of days, it's over, it's done, and you have to move on with the rest of your life. So I wanted to be present and enjoy every step, even it was painful, every cycle and every stroke in the water. And that was the difference of the mindset and my thought process from before leading up to and after. What was the most difficult thing that occurred during the 12 days? Oh, man. We haven't, we haven't got about three hours to talk about all of these <laughs> things that I think were the most. <laughs> the the crap in yourself sounds difficult. pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I vote that one. There, actually was, there, was, there was one day of that, but uh, that's not in the documentary, maybe in the bonus footage. We'll see. Um, that's a whole other story, by the way. <laughs> um, you got to do what so, you got to do okay. when you're out there. Oh, yeah. A- anything goes, uh, especially in France. That ain't fair. Um, <laughs> so the most, the most, I need to ask you a question. I need to clarify your question. The most difficult thing physically, mentally, or both? Uh, both. Okay, physically was swimming across the Gibraltar Strait um, because I'm not a swimmer. I, that was my weakest leg. Um, I had never swam anywhere near in the distance of 15 miles. The longest swim I'd ever done before was about six. I know that sounds really crazy, but I'd done a lot of those sort of distances. Um, it was hard because there's no there's there's nothing really in Gibraltar Strait. There's normally whales and seals and and turtles and stuff, but I saw nothing, so it was quite boring. But on the other hand. It's known for shipping tankers. So there's massive big shipping tankers that come in and out of this 10-mile gap that go in and out of the Mediterranean. And they were quite big, so they're a bit daunting. But it was the fact that the, it's, the Gibraltar Strait is known for its currents. They're really, really brutal. And I think at one time, you know, they, they were going at eight kilometers an hour. The guy on the lead boat was telling me I had to break through it. Otherwise, I would miss uh, my landing point and I'd get an incomplete swim. So... I had to sprint over the five hours and 11 minutes that it took me to swim. I had to sprint for two one-hour blocks. And if I, if I laid off the accelerator, even for a second, the little dinghy boat next to me who was just cruising along, they would yell and scream at me, faster, 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 come on, go, go, go. So I'm sprinting as fast as I can for an hour, and then they let me slow down for a little bit. And then they said, you've got to go, you've got to go, or you're going to miss because you've got to break through this current that's just flooding into the Mediterranean. So physically – that was it. That was the toughest thing. Uh, mentally, it was the lack of sleep, which led over to um, me passing out at several times. Once on the bike, my crew found that they lost me for a couple of hours. You'll see the documentary. You'll understand why. I'm not going to give too many things away. Um, they lost me for a while, and they found me uncon- like basically unconscious, still on the bike somehow, upright, unresponsive, everything like that. I cycled right past them when they were on the side of the road waving at me and I just was glazed over and getting not enough sleep because I was only getting a couple of hours of sleep a night and then passing out mentally, waking up the next day, not realizing how I got to this foreign hotel room and not realizing and not remembering the last couple of hours of the run leg I did the day before or the cycle leg I did the day before, mentally – that was just like messing with my head. It's like, this is not safe. Like, this is crazy. What am I doing? But then I would go back to, okay, if you don't want to do this, just get in the car and go home. 
you know, if you really want to challenge yourself, you really want to see what is capable of yourself and also the people who are following you on this on this journey, if you if you want to inspire them, if you want to show what's capable, you have to keep going. So mentally I had to pick myself up every morning to get back on the bike, to go out running and then to try and keep going to Monaco because that was a big dream I had four and a half years earlier. So any any hallucinations, Luke? Uh, I didn't hallucinate. I just didn't remember the last few hours of most mm. days and all of a sudden I woke up, uh, at, actually one day, woke up naked in the hotel room not knowing how I got there or how I was naked. <laughs> that freaking <laughs> man out. But, but I will... Well, I'll, I'll put a bit of context. My medical team was one person and it was my girlfriend. So um, I don't know if she took advantage of me or just <laughs> the fact that she wanted to get me out of early stinking um, cycling kit uh, to help massage my legs and, and fix my back or whatever. I don't know. She says it was all medical. Mm, you know, I know her well enough. I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> How much pain were you in when this was over? What did, what did your body feel like? Well, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. I mean, I could you just put it in, into maybe so a single word or words of just how you felt afterwards? Could you move? I mean, I, could you even walk? Um, I was on crutches for the last four days of the Ultimate Triathlon whenever I wasn't um, doing the event. Um, so I, the crew bought me crutches with three or four days to go um, and actually, and my, my memory of not remembering if it was three or four days, which would be my second point in a second, but I, yeah, I was on crutches. I couldn't put any weight on my left leg from the torn quadriceps, um, and so it was pretty bad. Um, so I will give you one or two words, but just to, to give you a couple of examples, that was that, and then also physically, my memory and my recall of things has changed. I have a, I, I forget things uh, more than I used to and it's actually noticeable. So my girlfriend, um, she has noticed it. She was out there for the whole 12 days and we've been together for a little while now and, and she's noticed it and so have I personally. I've had MRI scans and, and CT scans on my head. There's nothing wrong but it's noticeably my recall of things. Like I might go, oh, you know, like now like I, I could forget for an example, the name of this podcast, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's about these two, these, it's about these, these guys, there's two of them, what's the name of it, oh, what's the name of it, and there's stuff like this, I can't put it all together, and this is not something I ever had before, so mentally, if my brain, there's some chemical, the chemical shift in that from pushing myself to exhaustion, that, that's really noticeable these days, and that's quite frustrating for me, um, so just to give you a couple of words, and to, to sort of say how I felt in the pain, it was um, um, I was proud of myself, and that's not something I say very often, but I was very proud of myself for accomplishing the goal. And also it was um, emotional. It was very emotional because I had people following me along online. I had family members in Australia, in the UK following me. I had four people that were in my crew that were trying to help me achieve my goal and one of them was a filmmaker so basically he didn't count. He just had a camera in his hand the whole time and I had uh, two friends who were helping me with food and navigation and my girlfriend who was medical and stuff so that was it. It wasn't a big crew but it was very emotional and I think um, that's the word that really sums it up. 
um, because there were so many emotionals, good ones, bad ones, up, down, around, everything, and uh, that was it. Well, Luke, what's next? Uh, I'm hopefully going to announce uh, what I'm going to do next in October, um, but right now I can't I can't say anything, but it's just as big, just as crazy, but very different from the Ultimate Triathlon. Well, we can't wait. We look forward to it. Yeah, I was going to say there might be some, yeah. some copycats out there now that want to want to get their hands dirty and try out the, the Ultimate Triathlon themselves. Um, if anyone wants to, um, get in touch because initially I'll, I was going to um, make this as an, an event for people to sign up to or whatever, but let's just, let's just say the experiences I had, the routes that I thought were planned to the T and very good um, weren't. And the 2,000 kilometers in 12 days, probably not going to work for numerous reasons. Part of the reason why I wouldn't make an event is because without giving too much away, we actually broke the law a couple of times in, in uh, Spain. So I won't tell you about that because we, we had to run in with the police and we sort of nearly got, sort of nearly got arrested. But I'll let you see that on the, do- on the documentary. So, but if people want, to, want information about the swim, about cycling the most beautiful coastline that you could cycle on, I loved it, and also running across the south of France, please get in touch. And if you're a nutcase and you want to do this and you want to prove me wrong and say this can be done in 12 days, I will give you all the support and all the information you need. But I tell you what, it's going to take a brave man to show me and convince me that he can do that in 12 days. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, so get in touch. I'm more than happy to help someone out. That's awesome. I mean, listeners, if you get one thing from this podcast and listen to Luke, I mean, you should definitely be motivated and inspired. I mean, bottom line, Luke, I just love it. It is so motivating to hear you say you you chose to do something, you set a goal, you put your mind to it, you put it out there in front of you four years down the road. I mean, a lot of people prepare for something. They go, I'm going to do something in three months or six months. You plan for four years and a half years and you prepared yourself i mean incredibly mentally physically everything and you achieved it and and you told yourself when you were running in the afternoon hey i'm hurting i could turn around no if i want to accomplish this i keep going and um it's just extremely motivating and it's it's very very cool oh i really appreciate that that's yeah that's, that's so kind of you to say so and but that's it. I gave myself so many outs. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Stop now. And I kept going. I kept chasing after this goal. And, and also the other thing that really kept me going was I had clarity in my vision. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to get from Morocco to Monaco covering 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. I was so clear with that. So every time I wanted to stop and I would go, well, if you don't want to do it, no, I do want to do it. Okay, well, you shut up and you keep going. You legs be quiet, mind start ticking in and start talking to yourself, start visualizing, start, you know, if, you're, if I'm hurting on the inside and I look out, it's a sunny day, enjoy the sunny day, embrace it. And then if it's a really cold, miserable day, go, well, actually, I feel pretty good because it's not too hot. So, you know, there's all these things that I worked on that, you know, could be for another podcast, but, um, yeah, I had clarity in the vision of what I wanted to do, and that helped me a long way. Man, I love it, Luke. Thanks for thanks for coming on. This has been a blast, and we'll definitely have to have you back on after your next adventure and kind of keep 
keep tabs on you. But give us give us the details on the documentary. How can people see it? So people can see it. I'm having uh, screenings all around the world, and I'm actually having a screening in LA on the 11th of October. And if you want to go to that, go to theultimatetriathlon.co. And you'll see this big banner there that says uh, book tickets, buy tickets. Click on that and it'll take you to an Eventbrite page and you can buy tickets to go and see the screen, the only US screening uh, in LA. And then it's going to be available to download uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and so if you follow me on social media, I'm at Luke Taberski on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, my personal website is LukeTaberski.com. And everything else is on theultimatetriathlon.co. Follow me there. As soon as it's available to download, then boom, go and get it, download it. You can rent it. You can buy it, share it with your friends and everyone. I just want as many people as I can to see this film because this film is not about the 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. This film, as you said earlier, is about someone setting out to achieve this massive goal and then going out there and doing everything that he needs to do to achieve it. And we can all relate to that in life because we get setbacks, we have to adapt, we have to figure out what we really want, and then we have to work our butt off to try and get it. And at the same time, you have to have a crew or a tribe or a team around you to help you move forward. And that's what I did and that's what I had and that's what this film's all about, um, is about dreaming big, getting out of your comfort zone and going after what you want in life and living your life. So yeah, theultimatetriathlon.co, go on the website, check it out, follow me online and uh, come and say hi. Well, Luke, you are the epitome of living a two-fit lifestyle and it's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. No worries, guys. It's been my pleasure as well. I hope to get back on here sometime soon and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this with all my friends and all my followers. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 2Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by 2Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the 2Fit guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at 2FitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to 2FitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2FitUSA.com, under the podcast and products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and till next time.